0: Uh, Good afternoon. Good afternoon and welcome to the first Sunday of the new year. Now, I wonder if you've heard of the placebo effect. Yeah, the placebo effect. Everyone has heard of placebo. So, placebo is when um, often it's doing like clinical trials and so on, but they've discovered that um, a placebo is when they give you something that doesn't actually work, usually medicine, um, but you don't know that it doesn't work and the placebo is affected. Is actually uh, makes you think it works, but it doesn't actually have any effect except that it's A placebo. Now, here's the thing about placebos. It's it's been tested to show that even though the medicine or the treatment they give you doesn't in itself have any medical benefit, that the placebo effect is real and that your bodies do heal. It does affect you, and it can affect you positively, even though the medicine in question uh, isn't supposed to have any effect. Now, that you probably know about. Let me tell you four new things that you may not know about placebo effect. Number one is that the greater the effort you put in the placebo, the greater the effect. So, if you use a needle to inject a placebo, it has greater effect. If you do a placebo surgery, a fake surgery, it has even greater effect. Essentially, the more effort you put in, or the more that the patient thinks there's an effort put in, the greater the placebo effect, the greater the effect. Number two, placebos, or the placebo effect, works negatively As well. There's one study that everyone was actually given real painkillers, but they were told it was fake. And what it did for a lot of them is it negated the effects of the painkillers, has a negative effect. Number three, brand names and price for the placebo medicine affects the results. The more expensive you paid for it, the more effective. Right? The more recognized the brand of the placebo, even if it's a complete fake the greater the effect. And number four, this is a really interesting one, it can still work even if you know it's a placebo. Like, get this, as long as you expect it to work, even if you've been told that it's a placebo, it may still work, or it's likely to still work. And this is why I still take multivitamins. Now, I ask this because we're looking at prayer today, and I don't know if you've ever wondered if prayer is just the placebo effect. You think it works, and so it has some positive effects, and you may read situations as if prayer has been answered, but really it's all in your mind. It's just the placebo effect. And maybe that's where you are in your prayer life. Maybe you've been discouraged from praying. Maybe you stop stopped praying because for you, it doesn't seem to get further than the ceiling of the room you're praying in. How do we know that prayer isn't just a placebo? Well, the answer is... Theology, theology, strange answer. Well, theology sounds like a big word, but theology is knowledge of God. What we know about God will show us and teach us why prayer really is real and isn't just a placebo. And we're doing theology today because, as Pastor Dom outlined, we're doing the first of our Head, Heart, Hand series, and the head has to do with our minds. And so today we're going to wrap our minds around the theology But not the theology of prayer so much, but our theology of God. You got that? Because actually understanding God better will help us understand why prayer isn't a placebo, why it actually works. What God says about Himself in the Bible is the reason why prayer is real and not just placebo. So I'm going to look at four planks, four theological truths that will affect how we pray, that will affect why we pray, and why our prayer really changes things and things. And if there's anything that I would love us to be engaging in right at the beginning of the year as a church, it's to be a prayerful church. So getting this part of our uh, of our series right, 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 thinking about prayer is going to hopefully change a lot of things for the year to come. So four things. The first one um, I want to talk about. Sorry, I'm going to turn this on. Is That God is able. So the first two belong together. God is able, God is willing. You see on your outlines, if you want to follow, points one and two. And these first two key truths about God's character are important because without them, we won't pray and we won't pray effectively. And we're going to see that both come from episodes with Jesus' encounters with people in need. From the gospel of mark so the first one god is able um don't turn to it but in mark chapter 9 let me tell you what's going on uh jesus's disciples are unable to help a boy possessed by demons and so the father of the boy then brings the boy to jesus and begs jesus and he says in chapter 9 verse 22 of mark he says jesus if you can do anything take pity on us and help us right if you can do anything He's not sure if Jesus can because he's seen the disciples fail. And he says, if you can, please help us. Jesus replies in verse 23, if you can, everything is possible for him who believes. All right, you see what Jesus is saying? Everything is possible for God, and he is God in human flesh. He, of course, then heals the boy. God is able to do the impossible. Now, I gather that for followers of Jesus here, I know not all of you are, but for if you are, then probably this is not going to be the big point of struggle for you, at least not in your heads. In principle, if you believe in God, who is creator of all, then you believe that God is able to do the impossible. Jeremiah 32, 27, don't turn to it, but it says this, Jeremiah thirty-two twenty-seven. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind, is anything too hard for me? Nothing is impossible for God. But I wonder for those of us who say we believe it, do we actually believe it? And more importantly, does it affect our prayers? Do you regularly pray for the impossible and expect God to do the impossible or even the unlikely? Or do you lower your standard of prayer so much that you only ever ask God to do stuff that Is not too hard for him. Do you believe that God is able? That's plank number one. The second is that God is willing. See, it's no good if God is able, but he is unwilling because he might be able to do it, but if he doesn't want to do it, then he's not going to answer our prayers. He's not going to invite us to pray either. Well, Mark chapter one is the other episode, and this time we've got a leprous man. Right, someone with leprosy was outcast in the society that Jesus was in. It was, there was no cure at that time. He was infectious. He comes to Jesus in desperate need, and he says in Mark 1, verse 40, Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, you notice how different his words are to the father of the boy we met earlier on. The father said, if you can, if you're able to. This guy didn't doubt that Jesus was able to. He just wasn't sure if Jesus was willing. The next verse, though, Jesus replies him, and it says that Jesus is filled with compassion because he loves him, because he loves us. And then he says these words, I am willing, be clean, and the man was healed instantly. Jesus is willing. Not just able, but willing. Now, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, we're so glad you're here. And if you've been here before, you'll know that every week we have people who are just checking things out, and that's great. February is a great month for you. Questions for God, please come back for that. But I want to say at this point that the fact that God is both able and willing is really great news for you, for all of us, but particularly if you're still searching. Because it means that no matter what you've done, no matter how far you think you are from God, no matter how beyond Mercy or saving, or how hard your heart's been up to this point, no matter what, no matter where you are, God is both able and willing to change your life. He's both able and willing to come into your life. He's both able and willing to forgive you. So I don't know where you are yet, but if at any point, even today, you want to come to Jesus, put your trust in him, follow him, it's all yours. Forgiveness, eternal life, relationship with God. He is able and willing no matter where you are. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, okay, I'm hearing that God is willing, and yet I find it really hard to reconcile with my prayers that don't get answered. Yeah? I mean, if God is supposed to be willing, then why is it that He seems so unwilling for some of these prayers that I've prayed? Well, it's important here then to remember, isn't it, that God is God. And not just God is God, but even as a willing God, He is a good Father. That's the picture of God that we're given most of all, most intimately, is God becomes your Father when you become a follower of Jesus, your adopted sons and daughters of the King. But because He's a good Father, He does have bigger and wiser plans for us than sometimes we're able to understand. So sometimes He doesn't grant our request because our request would actually hurt us. Any of you who are parents or any of you who had good parents will know that this is what parents do. We sometimes withhold because our children don't know what's best for them. Or sometimes actually what they want is actually not good for them at all. If I gave my kids unlimited screen time, which they would love to have during the school holidays, I would be a bad father. Other times, though, our requests are right and good, but in His wisdom, He has something even better planned for us, and sometimes we just don't see that yet. You might have heard um, of a Christian writer called Joni Erickson, or Joni Erickson Tata is her married name. She's a quadriple- quadriplegic, can't walk, can't move, and has been since the teenage. She's written some amazing books, uh, read her autobiography, read books that she's read, Um, But as a quadriplegic who's walked with God whole of her life, uh, this is a quote from her that I, I just love. She says this, God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. You got that? God permits what he hates, things like suffering, pain, to accomplish what he loves. Sometimes I request some right and good, but he has something even better planned for us. And sort of related to this, I wonder if you've ever thought of this. Other times, he withholds one request or one prayer in order to grant another prayer that we ourselves have prayed. I'll give you an example. Um, My my lovely wife, Karen, she keeps a prayer journal, and it's one of those really wonderful things that she does. It means that she can look back on her prayers. And um, just a a few days ago, she was looking back um, on... prayers that she prayed at the beginning of 2018 so a year ago and as she looked back um, Karen realized that she had prayed at the beginning of 2018 that God would continue to teach her to be more um, reliant on him to grow in her intimacy with God and trusting in him and it occurred to her that there were all these times in 2018 which was a very tough year for us in lots of ways of God not granting other requests. Because he was granting that request from the beginning of 2018. That in order to draw us closer to him, more intimately in relying on him in prayer, in dependence, he had to let us suffer things that later on we didn't want to suffer. Do you see what I mean? We just forgot. And if you've ever prayed, God made me more like Jesus, or God helped me to grow closer to you, or God helped me to love you beyond anything, And suffering comes your way, and you pray that the suffering would end, but the suffering doesn't. And did you know that he's actually granting one request? And because he's granting the request that's more important, he's let you go through the other things. Because sometimes, often, if in fact, we can't grow closer to God. We can't be more like Jesus. We can't trust in him and pray more without going through the hard times with him. Yeah? And still other times, God, who is willing to answer prayer, He has not an answered, not because He's unwilling, but because He wants to teach us the next point that I'm leading to. We need to be humbled and be patient and persevere and realize that, thirdly, I am not in control. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says this. Have a look on the screens. God opposes the proud... But gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. 1 Peter 5:7 is one of those great memory verses on prayer. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. What a wonderful verse. But you've got to notice the verses before it. It's all in the context of being humbled. This passage is saying: if you and I are self-reliant, God is actually opposed to us, right? If our prayers reflect a self-reliance, or if we don't pray because we're self-reliant, it does us no good for God to allow us to keep doing that. He opposes that. But however, if we recognize our deep need before Him, that without Him, our plans and purposes, gifts and talents, our hard work, everything is nothing without Him, Then he will give us more grace. And sometimes it's this point that he wants to teach us most of all that I am not in control. And sometimes he doesn't grant our requests, at least immediately, to teach us that. Now, some of you might be automatically allergic to this idea that we are completely, utterly in need of God, or anyone really, because quite frankly, if you've come from a particular culture that Um, A lot of us have part of, it's very high achieving culture. Then you will have been told all your life that it's your hard work, your abilities, the hours you put in, the risks you take, and so on that reap the rewards. That you know this mantra that God helps those who help themselves, right? And so maybe this idea that we need to be fully dependent and reliant on God and, and admit our weakness is just something you don't buy into. Well, if that's how you think, I totally sympathize with you, because that's how I was brought up to think as well. But you know what? You live long enough and you realize it only takes a bout of serious sickness or some unforeseen deaths of the people around you that you love, people dying at ages that are young, not at all because of old age, younger than I, younger than you or you go through what some people in the world just call bad luck, and you go through a string of those. Any of those situations come and you realize that, in reality, very little is dependent on us. In fact, I'd say that nothing is ultimately dependent on us. And let's remember that there are many more people, more talented than you, who work much harder than you, but because they weren't born and raised in Sydney, but maybe in the slums of Nairobi in Africa. And no matter how talented they are and how hard they work, they won't ever succeed. So don't think for a a moment that we chose where to get born, the opportunities we've had. God put us where we are to be able to reap the fruit of our reward. And there's nothing wrong with that. But let's just not be under the delusion that we are in control of those things. And that hard work necessarily means... Right, good results. Just depends on where you were born. To the world out there, dependence and surrender does seem weak and stupid. Our famous atheist by the name of Friedrich Nietzsche, you might know his name, he despised and ridiculed Christians for that idea. But if you're a follower of Jesus, then you know, and we talk about it so much at our church, that power comes through weakness and grace comes to those who humble themselves before God. And just think for a moment, Jesus, who was God in human flesh, had all power available to Him, did He not? Becoming 100% man, He didn't at all stop being God. And yet, we so often read that Jesus prayed. Yeah? One of the first things we get struck with, Jesus withdraw to lonely places and pray, and that would be a pattern. Now, think about it. Why did Jesus have to pray? Why did He need to pray? If He, God, the Son, is fully God, fully divine, had all power available to Him, why did He need to pray? Well, the answer is because even though Jesus is 100% God, as man, He chose to live in complete surrender and dependence on God. He chose not to use any of His powers Except that he would be empowered by God and dependent on God the Father. And in so doing, as man, he models what perfect humanity is. Do you see? So if Jesus needed to pray and grabbed hold of the privilege and power of prayer, then who are we to do any less? Do you see what I mean? So back to my previous point why does God sometimes delay us answering our requests? It's because he wants to remind us of our need. Because if every time we prayed and instantly God gave us the answer, and especially the answer we want, then we don't have God as God. We have a genie instead. See how easy it is we would make God our genies, who responds to us whenever we feel it's convenient. But instead, He teaches us to be humble, that we are not in control. And here's another thought. Maybe he hasn't given what you've asked for because you've asked, but you haven't persisted in asking. And maybe he wants to teach us in humility to keep on asking until we are in that position where we recognize how completely in need of him we are. Or perhaps, and here's a thought, sometimes I think God wants to teach us to invite others to pray with us. And that's an important lesson in humility as well. The truth is, some of us don't ever ask others to join us in prayer for our needs. And You might tell yourself it's because you don't want to bother other people, you're polite, you don't want to trouble others, it's my problem, not yours. But deep down inside, let me gently suggest that it could just be pride, yeah? You don't actually want people to know how much you're struggling and so you kind of are resistant in asking for prayer, and maybe God is withholding some answer that you seek because He wants you to be humble enough to be vulnerable enough to say, "I need you, God, but I also need my brothers and sisters. I need them to pray with me, and I'm willing to, be, to admit that and be vulnerable to them. Right? Invite others to pray with you. and If you're on Facebook, then we have this group called uh, SWEC Family Prayer Group, I think, yeah? And it's one of the the great joys um, when prayer points pop up, um, people sharing things. Um, So if you haven't used that, or if there's something in your life and you've never really shared it, use that prayer group, okay? And if you're not part of the group, um, let me know. I'm happy to invite you and add you. It's a private group. Um, It's a great way of saying, look, I need God, but I need you to pray alongside me. All right, so that's the third one. I am not in control. And as I said, points one and two, God is able and willing to go together. Points three and four go together because though I am not in control, number four, God is completely in control. And that is why we pray, isn't it? See, if it's true that, it's, that in life it's not just what you know, it's who you know, right? You can get ahead in life if you know the right person. Well, who do you know if you're a follower of Jesus? Your daddy is the creator and sovereign of the universe. What a great privilege. Why are we not asking Him when He is our Father in heaven and He is in control of all things? Now, it may sound simple. God is in control. should be an incentive to prayer. But let's be honest. It actually can work the other way. There actually can be a reason people don't pray. Now, why? Let me outline the thinking. It goes like this. God, being so in control has determined everything already right everything goes according to his plan my prayers may be important for lots of other reasons like it humbles me um it exalts god's goodness it's therapeutic for my worries but let's be honest nothing i can do even by prayer actually will change anything if anything's going to happen it'll happen because god has already determined it he's sovereign my prayers don't actually make a difference to reality so it's important because it changes me, but not because it changes the world or it changes God. Have you heard that before? Maybe you think that before. Those who understand what it means to be a good Calvinist are very much in danger of thinking that. And I'm a Calvinist, and for a lot of my life, this is what I believe. Prayer does lots of things, but what it doesn't do is actually affect God, really and affect reality. Well, here is why I want to spend the rest of our time thinking about this one. And this one, you do need your thinking caps on. And this is why we're going to tackle this as a theological head uh, week of our series. The problem with that understanding, no matter how good of a Calvinist you are, the problem is the Bible. You see, the Bible refutes that completely. In the Old Testament, the first two-thirds of the Bible, Abraham, Moses, Amos, Jonah and there are only four examples that I could name, but there are four clear examples of where people, these four people, Abraham, Moses, Amos, and Jonah, they're pleading with God, actually says the Bible changes God's mind. So whatever else we believe about God's sovereignty, we've got to wrestle with that. Now, this isn't saying that God is weak or that He is fickle. In another part of the Bible, 1 Samuel 15, 29, don't have to look it up, but it says that God is not like man, that He should change His mind in that He's not fickle, right? He's not going to decide one thing and then go, oh no, I shouldn't have done that, I'm going to do the other. No, it's not like that. But what it does show us is that as much as God is still sovereign and in control, He is genuinely affected by the request of His people. And if that doesn't convince you, let me show you some more passages. James chapter 4, verse 2. You do not have because you do not ask God. Right? So the opposite is true. If you ask God, you will have. If you don't, it won't happen. Matthew 21, Jesus says, If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Now, Jesus is not just offering an empty promise. He's not just saying, If you work out what God is going to give you in advance and ask for that, you'll get it. No, no. You will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Luke 11, ask, and it will be given to you, seek, and you will find, knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Your asking, seeking, and knocking makes a difference. God responds directly to your asking, seeking, knocking. John 14, look at this one, I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you want any more evidence that Jesus wants to do and act in a way that responds to your prayer, well, that's it. John 14. God changes reality in response to prayer. Prayer actually affects what God does. If you don't pray, things don't happen. That's what it's saying. And yet, point number 4b, God is still completely sovereign. We've not said, A is true, God changes reality in response to prayer, and therefore God is not sovereign. Now, there are some people who want to say that, because A is true, B can't be true. And they have this, what it's called, the openness of God theology. That is, they've said that, no, 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 God doesn't know the future, and He certainly doesn't determine the future. He is just a lot smarter than us, so He knows the possibilities of the future, And because he's a lot smarter than us, he's like a good chess player. He can work out sort of where things will end up. And so by controlling the present, he can sort of control the future, but the future is still open to him. That's what some people want to say. He doesn't actually know or determine the future. He's not completely in control. Well, the problem with that, right? Letting go of B in order to have A is, again, that's not what the Bible says. Have a look at these passages. Many other plans in a man's heart But it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. God is sovereign. Ephesians 1, God works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. What he sets out to do is achieved completely, 100% in detail. And look at the next one. It even extends to people's hearts. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a watercourse wherever He pleases. Uh, See, if you let go of B, that God is sovereign, then I want to argue that there actually is also no reason to pray either, especially praying for someone to come to know Jesus. Conversion. Some say that if you believe that God is completely sovereign, then you don't really pray, because prayer is just lip service. He's going to do whatever He wants. But you know what? The flip side is also true. If you don't believe that God is completely sovereign, why pray at all? Because if the future is uncertain even for God, and He can't ultimately control people, hearts, events, then even if I do pray, what difference does it make? You see what I mean? The flip side is also true. You can't hold A and let go of B. So here's the question. How can we hold together A and B? Now, if you were here last Wednesday, sorry, at uh, Kingsgrove last Wednesday, in our, and a lot of us were there actually, it was great, we looked at a similar kind of conundrum of how can you hold together God's sovereignty, the B one, but not in relation to prayer, but in terms of evangelism. Why bother telling people about Jesus if God has determined already? Now, I'm not going to answer that because Pastor Marshall talked about it, but it's the same kind of thing. How can we hold both together? Right? That he is completely sovereign, even to the future, and yet my prayers actually affect and make a difference. Well, the answer is point C on your outlines. It's a quote there. I'll come to it in a moment. But the answer is this. God has ordained, he has determined, he has chosen that the way in which he works out his purposes is through our prayers. You got that? God has ordained that the means by which the way He works out His purposes is through our prayers. And when God achieves a purpose, He also gives the means of the purpose as well. So let me give you an illustration. When God sends rain, He also sends the cause of rain, i.e. the clouds. Though God is completely sovereign and powerful, He could very well, I'm sure, send rain when it's completely clear, no cloud in the sky, I've never personally experienced it. I always experience Him sending the cause of the rain, the clouds, as well. You see? When God sends rain, He also sends the clouds. In His sovereignty, He could achieve all things without us, but in His grace, and because He sees us as His friends, His sons, His daughters, He chooses not to do any of His purposes without our participation in prayer. And that's why our prayers actually make a difference. It's the means by which he achieves his purposes. It's the clouds that send the rain and he sends both. And so Augustine, who um, is an ancient theologian from the 4th century, that's his quote. It says, he says, without God we cannot. But here's the good bit. Without us, God will not. Right? Without God, we cannot, because he is in control, able, sovereign, but without us, God will not. He chooses to partner with us. And if you look at the Bible storyline, this actually is his plan for humanity from the very beginning. From Right from the Garden of Eden, it started with Adam and Eve. He wanted to partner with humanity to subdue and to rule with us, in partnership with him, and you've heard me talk about it before if you've been in this church for a while, to extend paradise through our labors. He wants to partner with us. And even after sin enters the world, he chooses people, Israel especially, the kingdom of Israel, and he calls them his kingdom of priests in that they are to be intermediaries to achieve his purposes outside of Israel through them. And of course, it reaches its focus point in Jesus Jesus, the perfect man, the perfect Adam. It's through a man that God ultimately partners together to save humanity. And then through Jesus' body, i.e. us, the church, God is going to realize His plans for the world. It's, It's actually all throughout the Bible. God can do anything. He can do anything without us, but He chooses to use us. He wants our participation. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, we are God's fellow workers. And that's where prayer comes in. If you only take one thing away from today, let it be this. That there are going to be things that will not happen if it's not prayed for. You got that? In God's sovereignty... He has chosen that prayers is the means by which he achieves things. So without prayers, some things won't happen. Let that really sink in now. There are people you love who won't be converted. Children who won't grow up to love Jesus. Churches that won't grow. Justice that won't be done. Nations that won't be evangelized. Problems that won't find solutions, sicknesses that won't get better, sins that won't be conquered, religious freedoms that won't be protected, list goes on, unless they are prayed for. Do you really believe that? You might be thinking here, yeah, but hang on, I've seen God do lots of stuff that I haven't prayed for. Well, you know what the answer is, don't you? Someone else has prayed for it and you're reaping the benefit. God who keeps a catalogue of all prayers of all times throughout all history has chosen to answer someone else's prayer, and we get to benefit from it, and through those prayers to work out His purposes. See, for me, this is the one lesson as a good Calvinist that has actually changed the way I think about prayer. And it's changed the way I pray. Now I pray with a greater urgency, and I want to pray about everything because I know that God wants to use my prayers. And there are things that won't happen unless we pray. Now, if this is true individually, how much more true would this be as a church? Like you think about it, if God, in his sovereignty, regards the prayers of individual children, what do you think he will do with the requests? When his children come together as the body, as the church, as his bride, as his beloved. Revelation, the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible tells us that right now in heaven, the prayers of the saints, that's Christians, rise up like incense before God. He loves the aroma, the smell of our prayers, which actually makes prayer meetings. You know, once a month we have prayer meetings, prayer um, First Sunday of the month, 3 p.m. Uh, here, right, before church, just half an hour between 3 and 3.30, and then every term we'll have a special prayer meeting, right, including this coming Wednesday, but also in a couple of weeks after that to kick off the year officially. Anytime we gather together for prayer meetings as a people, hey, you've got to see that heaven and earth gets moved from those meetings. There's something really significant happens when even just two or three gather in His name, so let's make that a part of our 2019. Now at this point I'm going to stop and I'm going to invite um, Sharon and Anthony up. So everyone give them a round of applause. They um, actually don't usually come to this service, but um, they've decided to do the double as all good people in our church do. <laughs> no, just, just me and Dom and our family. Um, and uh, they're going to tell us a little bit about an initiative that they actually came up with Um, that I think is so awesome and we as a staff team and as an eldership really want us to get behind. So tell us a little bit about 21 Days of Prayer, guys.
1: Yep. Um, Well, I don't know what everyone's prayer life um, looks like at the moment. I can only assume um, that maybe for some of us, prayer is actually a really important part um, and it's something that we do every day. Um, But maybe for some of us, um, actually, prayer is something that we really find difficult to do. Uh, Maybe you don't know what to pray about. Um, Maybe you just struggle to find time to pray. Um, So we're introducing um, this cool initiative called 21 Days of Prayer, um, where from the 9th of January to the 29th of of January, um, we are going to be praying together as a church. Um, And how this is going to work is um, a few different things. So first of all, um, there's going to be daily social media updates. So um, through Instagram and through Facebook, um, that's where we're going to be releasing daily prayer points and daily devotionals, um, in which you guys can uh, read up on and pray. Um, But also, sorry, I'm going to go back to 1 John 5.14. So it says this, right? This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And so we want to use that passage as something that motivates us to pray, especially over these 21 days of prayer, Um, but more so uh, as it's to the lead up of Mission Month. uh, We want to be praying for our non-Christian friends and family um, so that when Mission Month comes around and as non-Christian friends and family walk through that door, Um, We are expectant and confident that God is actually going to be working in them as the gospel goes out, um, and we want to see people be saved. Um, So, yeah, it's going to be going through Instagram and Facebook. So um, if you guys are on Instagram and not yet following the church, it's at Swe Church. um, but also through Facebook, through the SWEC Family Prayer Group. Um, Feel free to chat to Pete or me and Sharon. We'll be happy to add you. Um, And another cool thing that we want to be doing is that um, in order to kind of remember that passage, 1 John 5.14, We're going to be asking you guys to actually be praying at 5.14 p.m. per day. Um, So at 5.14, maybe you're coming home from work, uh, maybe you're already at home, um, just drop what you're doing and just pray, uh, whether it be for a minute or maybe for half an hour. Um, whatever, or in between, Um, at 5.14, we want to be praying, and it's pretty cool, and I think it's a really great comfort to see that the church will actually be praying together, even though we're not physically together, um, to know that there's brothers and sisters, both here in Bankstown and in Kingsgrove, um, that will be praying. Um, The second main thing is a hands workshop that we'll be running um, as part of this summer series. Um, So this Wednesday will be uh, the heart workshop, which will be a prayer and worship night, and that's going to be the official kickoff of this 21 days of prayer. Um, but on the 23rd of january uh, we'll be also running another event Um, it's going to involve pete giving a short talk but also um, something that i don't think our church has done before um, and we're really looking forward to it i'm going to keep it a surprise um, and hope to see you there um yep and sharon's going to run through a few others
2: Mm. um so another thing that we're going to roll out this wednesday are prayer cards where we write down three um, non-christian family or friends um, who we'd want to commit to praying for in the lead-up to Mission Month. Um, so definitely come by it's in King's Kingsgrove at 7.45 this Wednesday. It's going to be a really great night of prayer and worship. Uh, we could grow our hearts um, and our love for God and for the people who don't yet know him. Um, and lastly, a thing that we're going to be kicking off today is a prayer corner. So I think in light of what we've heard about prayer and how powerful and how good it is, I think it's only... Um, i guess relevant to come together in prayer um, to pray for each other but most importantly for our family and friends as well so that's going to happen at the end of this service um, i'm going to pray um, about prayer so let's pray <laughs> um holy father we thank you so much for your son jesus who came to die for our sins and who resurrected again to allow us to be in a relationship with you um, and that in him we have new life Um, a life where we've been reconciled to you and can approach you in confidence, knowing that you love us and have forgiven our sins. Father, we pray for those who don't share with us this joy that you'll be at work in their hearts so they may may grow a desire to seek you and accept Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. Father, I pray for us as well as Mission Month approaches um, that we'll be bold in sharing our faith with them and invite them to these services where they can learn more about your character and your love for them. Uh, Father, we continue to pray for the upcoming 21 days of prayer that will be committed to it and take time out of our day um, to lay these requests before you, um, knowing that you're a God who listens and who answers. Um, as a church family, Father, our hope is to become uh, more prayerful and dependent on you. So um, please create a desire in our hearts to do so as we ultimately seek to bring you glory through these things. And I pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Amen.
0: Thanks guys. Isn't that great? Um, I love it. that. um, Thanks guys. You can take a seat. Um, Sharon Anthony came up to me a few weeks ago, very politely, sent me this email outlining what they thought and kind of politely saying, um, you know, this is our idea, but it's okay if we don't do it because, you know, there's a lot happening at church. We know this might not suit the calendar and stuff. And I'm like, are you kidding? Like prayer, we want to drop everything we can to do this because there's nothing more important than we can do as a church uh, than to actually be praying. As I said today, stuff is going to happen because we pray. Um, Just a little bit more about the prayer corner. We want to be doing that starting from this week, and we're really hoping that we'll do it every week. So every Sunday, and this is much better than Kingsgrove. There's not much front space in Kingsgrove. So um, after church finishes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I think we just go into, as good as it is, you know, catching up on how your week was, what you do for New Year's Eve. Um, You know, the best thing we can do is let's just get together and pray straight away. That'll deepen our conversations, really get to the important stuff. So um, for after church, don't feel it's awkward. Just come right up to all of this front area, grab someone with you. There won't be necessarily, you know, someone um, forming groups for you, just with people who are hanging around to say, hey, what can I pray for? How can we pray for each other? But between now and, during Mich- uh, and up to Mission Month, for the prayer corner, let's focus on praying for people we want to invite or people who are in our lives who maybe can't even come to prayer. Um, sorry, mission month, but we want to see them come to know Jesus. So we'll pray for non-Christians um, as a focus for prayer corner. But that's going to start today. So straight after um, the last song and, and after Dong says the blessing. We're going to, uh, we're going to, I'm going to yeah, ask you to come and those who want to just grab someone who's up here as well. It can be pairs, can be in threes, can be bigger groups. Just start praying and uh, starting from this week, we'll do it every single week. Let's go and let's sing.